Good morning, still. Good morning. Uh, Tom Ramsey, the college pastor here, and uh, we're going to start this off today with a uh, uh, little word from Chris Sword. He's the last of our elders. He's just going to talk for a few minutes about his life and his influences, and then we'll get rolling here. Come on up. Well, the last of the elders, that sounds a little ominous. <laughs> oh, um, the last one to talk, sorry. Okay, thank you. <laughs> wow. Dun, dun, dun. Something I didn't know. Okay. Hey, Tom asked each one of us elders to, to kind of talk a little bit about um, our life and ministry uh, and to start off with a bit of a bio, just about who we are and where we came from. And, and um, as you, most of you know, my name is Chris Sword, and uh, I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and went to the University of Oregon and am hopelessly a duck fan. You got that. So <laughs> well, I heard a few cheers out there. <laughs> But I'm also a Beaver fan, and I root for the Beavers in every game but one. Uh, some have told me that's not good enough, but anyway. I did graduate from there, and what was that? I'm done. Oh. Thank you. If I'm the last of the Ellies, they're all gone now. Okay. So, but I graduated in 1978 from, from there, and then went on to Western Baptist Seminary up in Portland. And... Um, I met my wife, Kathy, at Crater Lake um, one summer up there, uh, shortly after the lake was formed. And uh, we, <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't quite that long ago, <laughs> but uh, it was in 1975, and uh, we got married in 1979, and so we've been married for 34 years, and I think you ought to give a hand to my wife for putting up with me. <laughs> so, and I, I work as a a manager in the call center in a place that uh, most of you have to call at some point that you really don't want to call maybe necessarily. It's called DMV, and it's up in Salem, and uh, we're at the call center. So that's sort of like if, you want to, if you've got questions about your license or license plate or why we did what we did to you, <laughs> that's where you call. And if you get really mad at the agent and you say, I want to talk to your manager, you might get to talk to me. So that's uh, something to look forward to there. Hopefully not. <laughs> And we've had three children. Uh, we had uh, Michael. Uh, he was born in uh, July of 1985. And then Christina, born in September of 1986. And then Sean was born in January of, of 1989. Oh, I got all those out there. <laughs> Michael, as a, as a baby, uh, had a very heart, serious heart defect, and so he only was with us for two weeks, and he passed away. Um, Christina is, went off to college. She went to a small college in Iowa, and she's an assistant soccer coach there, and she thoroughly enjoys her job, and she got a degree in, in uh, athletic training and has been recently certified in that, and she enjoys doing that and is kind of hoping to maybe go on with her education a little bit further. Uh, Sean went to the University of Utah and graduated, and she is now working at Snowbird, which is one of the ski lodges up there, and she really enjoys that. She enjoys skiing, and and uh, enjoys living there. And unfortunately, both of them love living where they live now. And it was my secret goal that you can go anywhere you want to college, but after four years, you come back here. But they didn't hear that part. <laughs> so anyway, no, we're really excited for, for them being where they are, being where they, you know, enjoy doing what they do. And, and uh, so that, that's great. And we are excited about that and proud of them. Um, the other question that I wanted to answer was, how did I come to know the Lord? And I grew up in a church in Eugene, a First Baptist Church, and it was a wonderful church. I grew up in a Christian family as well, 
And I used to think that created kind of a boring testimony, but I've, I've learned to think that that's a great testimony. It's a great fact that I had the opportunity to grow up in a Christian family and with Christian values. I started to church, my mother tells me, when I was about six weeks old and uh, been pretty regular since then. When I was in Sunday school, one of the things that they did in Sunday school was taught us how you pray to receive Christ. And I thought that was pretty neat. And so when I was about five or six years old, at some point, I prayed to receive Christ because I learned how to do that. And then after four or five times, I figured it took, so I was okay. <laughs> and then as I, growing up through those years, I kind of hit some bumpy roads, but just uh, I, I stayed true to God. I stayed true to that church. And uh, when I got into the University of Oregon, I got into a Christian co-op there. It was a fantastic opportunity of other guys there. And it was at that co-op where I rededicated my life to the Lord and uh, to kind of see whatever God wanted me to do. Um, I was always afraid to do that when I was growing up because if I fully rededicated or dedicated my life to the Lord, he might make me become a pastor or a missionary, and I didn't want that. So <laughs> anyway, um, that was a great experience there. And the, the other question that Tom asked us to deal with is, is uh, what in the world or why why did we want to become a church leader? And uh, actually, when I became an elder the first time around a few years ago, this is my second term as an elder, um, when we have a confirmation, it's an opportunity for some of you to come and ask us questions. And one person did come up to me and said, I just have one question for you. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, why in the world would you want to do this? <laughs> so we had an interesting conversation about that. And uh, to be honest with you, I really feel like um, – that when I was at that co-op, that Christian co-op, I had an opportunity. One of the people that really made an influence in my life was uh, our college pastor. His name was Mike Hilty. And, and I, after I rededicated my life to the Lord, I had the opportunity to lead a Bible study, had the opportunity to do some counseling with people, and actually had the opportunity to lead some people to the Lord. And I really enjoyed doing that. And he said, well, have you thought about going into the ministry? And I said, well, no, not really. And uh, but I prayed about it, he prayed about it, and eventually from that point on, I began to, to set my course towards going to seminary and going into full-time ministry, um, which, is, which is kind of the path that, that I led. And uh, I really followed God's lead after that. We, went to, we started out at uh, First Baptist Church in Salem. I was an intern there while I was going to uh, Western Seminary. And uh, that was a, a great opportunity. That's where Jack Lubrecht and I were actually co-pastors our co-directors of the high school group there. Many of you know Jack and Melanie. And um, then we went from there to First Conservative Baptist Church in uh, Roseburg. And then eventually we came here to uh, Northwest Hills. And that was back in 1988. And I was the youth pastor here for eight years and concluded that ministry in 1996. And, and then um, as far as how I came to be uh, an elder, it was sometime after that, I think it was around 2003, something like that, um, I ran into Tom White, and he said, hey, have you ever thought about being an elder at Northwest Hills? And I said, well, no, not really. <laughs> and he said, well, I think you ought to consider that. And he said, I, I'm going to talk with some of the other elders, and I came to find out later that they had already been talking a little bit about that, and they approached me and asked me if I would be interested in being an elder. And I told them I'd pray about it. I'd put it before the Lord. And to be honest with you, um, whenever I had an opportunity for something like that, I really felt like the decision wasn't mine. It was God's. And I really felt the leading from the Lord. Um, 
or a piece about going ahead and becoming an elder there and following what I felt like God wanted me to do. And so that was an opportunity I, I took, and, and that was for uh, six years. And there was two short terms there, and this is kind of the second, or this is the second set of maybe six years. And so that's that started. And um, other opportunities I've had to be a leader in a church, um, we went with the, the Reese's to Haiti not too long ago, felt a real peace about that. God led us there, and we followed them, and, and that was a wonderful opportunity. And the other thing that um, Tom asked us is, who were the people in your life that were really influential, uh, spiritual people that were in- influential to you? And the first one in my life that I'd have to mention is, is my dad. He was kind of that rock of faith, and if, if there is a gift of faith, he had it. <laughs> and uh, he was always there. He was always very strong and steadfast, and I always appreciated that in my dad. The second one that for me that comes to mind was had a really strong impact in my life is a man named John Gustafson. He was a guy that I mentored or interned for when I was at First Baptist Church in Salem. And I can still remember the first day he came to the church, I was a little bit intimidated by him because I'd heard some stories. <laughs> but he was he was going around, this was his first day on the job and he was meeting some of the other uh, interns there. And he came and he talked with me and we sat down and I told him, I said, John, I, I want you to know that um, I really love the kids and I, I love what I'm doing, but I don't know what in the world I'm supposed to be doing. And this immediate thought came to me, what did you just say? <laughs> this is a guy you're going to be working for. And he, he looked at me and he said, well, you know what? That's a much better attitude to have than somebody who thinks they know what they're doing and they really don't. And from that point on, to be honest with you, he really, in a sense, took my hand and showed me ministry and showed me how to minister, how to lead how to direct, and it was a fantastic experience and a great relationship. Another one that was very important to me once I came to, to Northwest Hills was, was David Niquette. He taught me a lot about leading and teaching and preaching, and uh, he was a great example there. And then also a couple of the guys on staff, Tinker Melanick and Phil Roblicky, the three of us used to meet together, and Tom's going to talk a little bit a little, about how people need to challenge and hold each other accountable and that sort of thing. And the three of us really did that. We asked each other the hard questions, and we challenged each other in our own spiritual walks with our, with our wives, with our families, with those around us. And, uh, and so those guys were really instrumental and helped lead me in my development. And then another one that many of you know is Don Snow um, here at church, both spiritually and in running. <laughs> um, Don, as many of you probably know, is a runner and has been. And I'm a runner also, and sometimes I tell my wife, I said, you know, I'm 58 years old. Maybe I'm too old to keep doing this. And she'll remind me, Chris, how old is Don? I go, yeah, yeah, he's 80, and he's still running. I know. <laughs> so, But he's been a real inspiration both physically, I guess you'd say, and spiritually, and I really appreciate Don. The final thing that uh, Tom asked us to talk about was what difference has it made in your life uh, to be involved in, in leadership in the church? And the primary thing for me, as I kind of alluded to earlier, is um, the difference it's made in my life is I feel like God has called me into leadership. He's called me to be an elder, and he called me to be a pastor, all those things. And so the difference it's really made in my life is that it's been in obedience to following God. Because, again, as I said earlier, I never really felt like it was my choice when these opportunities like that came up, but I really felt like it was God saying, I want you to do this, and it was my job or my, my goal to follow God and everything. And so the difference that it's really 
made in my life is that it's, it's me following God. And as a leader in church, as a pastor, as an elder, and at different times like that, it's, uh, it's very difficult sometimes. It's very good sometimes. I can remember one, before I went into the ministry, one of my friends that was already a pastor said, you know, as a pastor, I've had some of the greatest highs in my life. I've had some of the greatest, you know, lows and, and depths in my life. He said, it's a little bit of both, and, uh, but you've got to keep following God and what God wants you to do. And that's what I've really striven to do in my, or strove to do in my life is to really follow God, follow his leading. And if he wants me to do something, I'm going to try and follow that and do that. All right, so um, just a heads up, this is kind of a continuation of the last three weeks. So if you weren't here and you want to get the context of where we're going with this topic of influence, um, nwhills.com, down at the bottom, there's a little button that says messages. If you click on that, it'll open up the last uh, three or four weeks as of Tuesday. And then um, you can either listen to it on the podcast, download it, or watch the video. Um, some of the video is worth watching. But... Uh, uh, I'm going to give you a quick review of the last three weeks uh, before we jump in today. And I think today's lesson about moving people from the middle of that continuum to the end is better told um, in the context of a story. So I'm going to have a young man come up and share his story intermittent with um, the things that you need to know from God's word about it. So first of all, three weeks, four weeks ago, influence is about who you know. Uh, real quickly, first, you need to know Jesus as God. His life introduced us to what God was like and then what he believed we could do as we followed him, which is important to know. Um, his life was a model of how to live and how to serve others. So technically, by watching him and following him, you would become a disciple, one who learns from that person and begin to do the kind of things he did while he lived here. The next part of that first week was it's about knowing who you can influence. So I've been talking about a circle of opportunity which consists of all the people that you rub shoulders with on a regular basis. It could be um, your family. It could be your neighbors. It could be uh, your team members, your coworkers, fellow church goers. And then there's this other category, which is people you don't bump into as much, but you could make a regular practice of bumping into your banker, a store clerk, a mechanic, a waitress at all the places that you frequent. And once you begin to get into a relationship with people in any of these places, now they come under your circle of influence. In other words, you can make a difference in someone else's life through the relationship that you have with them. Um, what I, in this book I first read called Real Life, it was a guy just in business, and he's like, I don't know, I just go to do my work every day, and I don't feel like I have a bigger purpose than just collecting a paycheck. And um, this led to a discussion of how he could have purpose as he influenced other people, and he started with one, and then it grew. Um, so I think this is something that anybody can do. Um, part two is where you've been, and that was remembering your own story um, and specific parts of your story so that as you go back and say, I'd like to be an influence on other people, you can actually meet them where they are. You can be more real with them as you begin to recount the places that you've been uh, that include your ups and downs, how you came to faith in God through Jesus, how and when God has interceded in your life, maybe in many different ways, and then who he placed in your life to influence you along the way. And that's why I asked each of these elders to talk about some of the influences. I've had many of you come up to me now and begin to remember either the bad parts of your life because you heard me tell about mine and, or the good parts of your life where someone came along and influenced you. Um, and then 
The next part last week was um, it's where they are. So now we're talking about the people that you want to influence. And probably the most important thing is that you build a relationship, you learn their story, and then you just love them right where they are. You don't expect them to be um, cleaned up, perfect, or understand what you understand, but to love them where they are, really just like God does. We talked about that a lot last week. So it helps when you remember where you came from. And then here's the quick synopsis of last week. Go, serve, share your story, listen to theirs, share God's love, and don't give up. In the process of building relationships, then we talked about helping people cross some important thresholds uh, on their way to, to following Jesus. And the first two have nothing really to do with Jesus. The first one is a skeptic. Somebody that doesn't care isn't interested. But through your relationship, you have the opportunity to talk about that. Second step was um, the seeker, somebody who's curious and starts asking questions about God, about Jesus. And then getting them to follow where actually somebody puts um, their faith in Jesus and, and who he said he was and what he's done for us. And so that continuum stopped there last week. And this week we're saying somebody now who's a follower to become a leader, to become a world changer. And we'll unfold the story of one of the young men in the audience here today that has kind of gone down that entire pathway. So um, love with patience, empathy, sacrificial serving. Tell your story in bits and pieces. Tell God's story over time as an answer to their questions and their curiosity and their readiness. And then just sit back and watch God go to work in their lives. Um, let me pray and we'll dive into today's lesson. God, thanks so much for... Um, what you did in advance for us over 2,000 years ago for each person in this room before we knew you, before we knew about you, before we knew anything but just living for ourselves, you sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins, a price that we couldn't pay. Um, he died on the cross. He rose again. And because of that sacrifice that was made all that time ago and because he lives today, um, we have the opportunity to be forgiven of all of our sins, something nobody here can do for us. We have the opportunity to be um, freed from the power of death because you've given us a promise of eternal life. Uh, we thank you for that. And God, help us to see today how no matter who we are, no matter where we came from, we can make an incredible difference in the lives of other people, maybe even one at a time as we let you work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, part four. So today it's where you lead them. So this is helping somebody grow from follower to leader to world changer. And there's hopping around in those areas a lot during this. But um, first thing we need to know is that God has a desire for everyone to be saved. This week, since I'm talking fast, I'm at least going to give you the references. So they'll pop up on the screen and you can at least write those down and look later if you want. The first one is 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 5. The synopsis of that passage is this. Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy. And he's telling him a couple of things. First, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Ask God to intercede on their behalf. And then give thanks for them. So God is concerned about all people. And in the final part of verse 15, it says, This pleases God who wants everyone to be saved and come to an understanding of the truth. The second is God doesn't want us who are following him to let anybody fall through the cracks. In Hebrews 12 14 and 15, he tells us to work at living in peace with everyone, work at living a holy life, and then look after each other so that no one fails to receive the grace of God. And this is where Austin comes in. So here's some pictures. Austin's going to come up and 
Um, I met Austin in 2005. It was my first year as a chaplain for the OSU football team. And um, this is really where that story uh, began and an opportunity presented itself for us to meet, uh, mainly when we were traveling on the road. Um, so Austin, I'm going to give you a question to start off. And uh, here it is. What was life like at that time when we first met? What were you thinking um, and what were you thinking when you approached me? That's good. Well, I, everybody hear me? Okay, good. Um, I, I just take a look at the pictures and in the top left is where I was at. So uh, when I first came in, that was actually my second year at Oregon State, my third year in college. I came from Carroll College, a school in Montana, and uh, I just felt a pull, you know, go, go after something greater, go after something bigger. And, and Oregon State really was that for me. I always wanted to play football here. And so I gave up a scholarship and uh, put some film together and uh, came to, to Coach Riley's staff. And, and next thing you know, got an opportunity. So I uh, got an opportunity to come out as a walk-on, got an opportunity to come play. And, uh, you know, when you see guys like Sabby Piscatelli and some other guys like that that are in the NFL just done now, it, uh, it's a blow to a self-image when you're 5'10", 195. So <laughs> if you guys know who Sabby is. But anyway, so I had a lot of just questions, you know, um, things of identity. Football really identif- uh, really was my identity and what I was and, and uh, you know, be a good person. So I had a lot of morals and various things. But really, I had people seeding into my life prior to me getting to Oregon State. And then I found out that Tom was on staff um, with Northwest Hills and was a team chaplain. And I was always really excited to understand more about who Christ was. You know, when I looked out, I saw general revelation. I really knew that, you know, when you see fall, especially here in Corvallis, man, it's just it's gorgeous. You see the leaves change. And is that, did that really just happen because of a big atomic boom? And, and I always knew not, you know. Uh, my mom passed when I was young. And so, you know, her dying prayers or that uh, people would be plugged into my life. And so I just had people saturated into my life. So it's almost by God's grace that I was able to meet Tom and some other people and see him interweaving people into my life. And uh, from that, you know, I was really, I was open-minded because I was a skeptic at first, but then I was open-minded because of the work of some other people. Tom steps in. And then we started, uh, when I started traveling, uh, we started meeting together. We started getting to the team chapels. And it was really my lucky rabbit's foot. And I wanted more, but uh, I wanted to be good before God so I could play good. So it was go to God to receive first. And, um, you know, I was really excited to know more, but I didn't know, really know what it took, what being a follower of Jesus, what, what that cost really is, and uh, where life is really found. Oh, okay, yeah. So when we first started meeting, you know, you know, there's always a heartbeat behind the drama, okay? And so the drama is really the fruit, the things that are really – you know, the question marks or the anger or the dissension or wherever there's something is, especially when somebody is talking about God in their life. And, um, you know, so for me, there are various things that Tom saw, and so he really gave the word. You know, the word's awesome, awesome to give. So if you're listening and you know some scripture to give the word, Ephesians is a great one. It'll give you a uppercut, left hook, punch to the face. It'll slice you open, and, and you'll hemorrhage. And, uh, you know, you will. And, you know, what's so great about it, too, is it didn't come from Tom. It came from the Lord. And it really challenged me, and I started stepping into some light and uh, started noticing that maybe I'm off. Maybe I need to start going down a different path. Maybe that's the reason why, you know, I'm not fulfilled. And that, uh, you know, my, my good play or my good practices or my grades or whatever, why they only fulfill me, it's like a three-second win. So, so um, 
Yeah, Austin came, and, and I, I really didn't feel like um, condemning him was the way to go. Like, man, you're all full of yourself. It didn't sound like a great opening line for our relationship. So I just, he wanted to read the Bible, so I said, why don't you read Ephesians? And he read it, you know, while he was on the road or at home. And he came back and he said, okay, I'm done. And I said, read it again. And he did. And then he came back and said he was done. And I said, read it again. And then he came back and he started saying, wow, I need to change this. I need to change this. And I didn't have to tell him anything. He just heard what God was saying through Ephesians. And there's a couple of big areas uh, we won't talk about today that he started um, working on and changing. So um, this is the the time now we've been begin this process of discipleship. And I want to define that a little bit before we go on. What does it look like? Um, We talked about Week one, where Jesus gets his followers, I call them trainees, in Matthew 28. And he says, go make disciples. And really all we got there was make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded, he said. So uh, that's the beginning. Uh, So I think the heart of discipleship is this. It's just teaching other people to trust and obey Jesus. Um, And here's how that breaks down. They decide to follow Jesus, which is really trust. Because you don't just follow Jesus if you don't trust him. And then they watch and they learn from him and from their relationship with you. And then at some point they ask you to help them or you challenge them and say, hey, would you like to talk about this more? And that begins the process of growing. And then they begin to grow in knowledge, understanding, and experience, which are all really important in this process. So your goal at this point as a disciple is discipler is to walk with them through their life to give them some instruction and then hold them accountable so accountability is a big scary word to some people but i have in parentheses here it's it's actually to encourage because when you know when somebody says i want to lose 50 pounds hold me accountable you don't go in and go well it's not working is it you know but but you say well what steps did you want to take to get there and then when they tell you you ask them have you been doing that you know, so accountability is supposed to be an encouraging process. But I learned uh, before this, but especially in this relationship, is that you have to actually get someone's permission. In fact, it's better if they ask you, will you hold me accountable? And then what I found out, at least with Austin, is what I needed to define what that meant. So, uh, you know, I said, do you really want me to get in your face about the things that you want to change? And he says, yes, absolutely. So, uh, I'm going to stop there and say, Austin, tell us a little bit about accountability as you saw it then, what it looked like and feel like for you. Was it hard and what was beneficial about it? Awesome. Well, um, you know, coaches, coaches coach and you could guilt and shame people all day long and they still perform, especially as an athlete. So I guess I understood that, that you need a coach in your life. You need somebody that's going to mentor you. You need someone that's going to influence you. And so I think that the motivation behind it was I saw fruit on the tree. I saw a man of you know, fierce character and integrity, and I, I literally mean that, uh, that uh, was just authentic, was real, no guilt, shame, and so it was a little bit different. And um, up to this point, it was about two years of traveling and getting around and, and building a relationship, and then, but when you're having the same conversations and you're really not progressing, you're really not getting anywhere, you're really just kind of plateauing, especially as football excellence is a standard, and, you know, you find your niche, and and next thing you know, you really don't have that purpose. And, and so you're really not too passionate because you don't have that purpose. You don't have the heartbeat within you. Um, we kind of have the same conversations. And then eventually, 
you know, Lord just kind of drew me away um, after the bowl game, uh, really just made a declaration of faith that, yep, I'm, I'm going to bear the cross. Um, I'm going to be a man of faith. And I remember coming back and uh, having a conversation with Tom and uh, talking about accountability, and I brought it up, and I didn't realize how tough it is because you literally step into some light. You step into some light and, and being really kind of under the authority of another man to look into your life and say, hey, man, I want to talk to you about this issue because this is what's holding you back. You're talking about what's going wrong here and here. Well, the root produces the fruit. And so the fruit that we're talking about, the various things, well, that wasn't the issue. It's the heart. It's the heartbeat of it all. And it got tough. And um, so what I ended up doing was really kind of pushing myself back. It was, I think it was the winter, winter or maybe even spring. And uh, football was kind of off, and so I didn't have to see Tom. So I said, well, I guess I'll just avoid him. And then uh, you start seeing him on the sidelines and doing various things, and next thing you know where you're like, well, I can hide from him all, all fall camp, or I can just go talk to him and figure this out. I had a buddy of mine also um, that I was complaining to. There's a man of faith in a fraternity I was involved with. He said, buddy, you're being a baby, you know. You know, the, the, this man has fruit on the tree. This man can help you. Uh, he's a great guy. And uh, everything you're talking about, I'll talk harder if you need me to, but you need to get back in his hip pocket. And so accountability for me was really the boundaries. So I could go still mock two with my hair on fire, but I'm bouncing off walls with people in community, and Tom really was that for me, and uh, this Northwest Hills community and, and family for me. And, and then from that, uh, allowed me to get back on track. And then there was, from that, there were really some changes, and God really started blessing that, and prayers and various things that started happening through the rest of that season, just being able to pray for the team, being able to really step into uh, a deeper fellowship, and then launching other fellowships and discipling and doing other things. After he said, would you hold me accountable? And we cleared up what that was. Um, I called him up and I said, hey, what's this on your Facebook account? He's like, are you serious? And I go, yeah, what's it doing on there? Because I'm not introducing you to any of the girls in my group. <laughs> if you don't get rid of that right now. And he's like, oh, all right. And that's when he started avoiding me after that. <laughs> it did disappear the next day, but he stopped um, hanging out with me. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, a month or so later, he pops back up and he goes, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, I'm really ready to go. He didn't tell me Dane, uh, Dane called him a baby, but I think that was probably a good call. Um, big, tough football player, baby. Doing baby stuff, right, coach? Um, so here we go. Um, now Paul uh, writes this next thing to Timothy, and he tells him to disciple faithful men. So now I feel like Austin's back. He seems like he's really serious, because sure, that was hard to face up to some of this stuff, even after making a good start. And um, in, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul writes to Timothy, who's uh, a young pastor now starting a church, and he says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. And that's the things about Jesus. And he says, Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So the next step in discipleship then is, can I trust this guy to be committed? And I thought I could at that time. And so we, we started going a little bit deeper. And the goal was to get him out there talking to other people about it, um, sharing his life with other people. So I got to stop here um, and, and mention this one thing. I'm telling some of the best stories I have. Uh, uh, Craig, and later you'll hear about Jake again in Austin. 
Um, and, and there's more, but it doesn't always work like this. And sometimes it doesn't work right away. And so if you go out there and go, okay, Tom, I read your four messages. I followed the steps. It's not happening. Okay. 2005, that's seven or eight years ago, right? Okay. So you're, you're hearing the development of this story over a period of about eight years. Okay. And, and with Craig, the guy I told you about last week, you're hearing he left for a year or two and came back. You know, and I don't know what he did in between, but when he came back, he was ready to go. And, and there's another guy I was thinking of today, Brad, who he was friends with Jake in high school. And he said he was in. And I remember sitting outside Baskin Robbins in Sacramento. And he goes, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to ask him into my life and, and live for him. And that was a great year. But as a kid who was adopted, whose parents had just split, um, who, and then his dad kicked him out of the house. He goes, I can't pay for you anymore. Here's a kid a year out of high school. And about a month into that, he gets busted for crawling through the roof of a Little Caesars and he gets put in jail. And, and then he gets out of jail and he gets into the next dilemma, you know. And then uh, before I, I knew it, I heard this years later, he's gone to this place called Aquarian Effort to get rehab because now he's a drug act. He's got nothing going forward. He was done with football in high school. His family was done with him. Although he said he had this relationship with Jesus, he's, he's you know, robbing places and getting in lots of trouble. So years later, I think it was probably the first year I was here, maybe um, about nine years ago now, I'm driving through Sacramento and he's sitting on a bench across from the hospital and I see him and I pull up and he doesn't look great and he tells me this drug story and the rehab story and, and then I said, good to see you, keep in touch. And a couple years later, I come back and I'm visiting my old church and he's there in the church and he's married and he has a child. And he says, I'm trying to get back, you know. And then a couple years later, I run into him again. And again, this is like over eight or nine years. Um, he's like, okay, so I'm, I've gone to this other church now. and I've actually cleaned up my act. And they've asked me to be part of the leadership team at that church. So again, we're looking at stories at the, at the end or at least way in the future from when you first meet with this person. So I have to remind you what I said last week is don't quit on people because some take longer than others. And honestly, some may not respond, maybe not as long as you know them, um, but don't quit on them because the faithful ones are going to stay with it over time. They're going to begin to demonstrate their, their commitment to Jesus, and then they'll start following and obeying. And once this relationship gets going, you meet with someone and then you, you help them grow. And then you say, would you be willing to continue this process? And so you encourage them while they begin to continue with others. And you stand by and help them with that. So, Austin, back to you. Um, tell us how this worked with you after OSU. Because you left. We weren't in contact very much. What were some of the forms that it took? Awesome. Well, um, I, think, I think going into the football, there was that accountability. And then my senior season playing with a purpose now. Uh, so then, then my playing was a purpose. Uh, the young guys coming up, being able to pray for them and help them and serve them, even if they were way better than I was, even if it was my competition for that spot, I noticed that that was the hard attitude that God wanted. Um, and then from that, uh, just having the opportunity to invest into other athletes and people when we were there, we got some guys together. We said, hey, let's learn how to live life. And let's have five leaders and just rotate it up and let's just talk faith and whatever the word says, let's go live it. And then from that, it just kind of started growing and growing and growing. It's kind of like fanning into the flame, especially in Timothy, talking about that, you know, the gift of God. Just So spirit started just really moving within us and then started getting more of a heart. Holy cow, more and more people need to know what, what living a purpose-filled life really looks like. You know, Rick Warren talks about that. Other people talk about it. Well, how do you get that passion 
And a lot of people have unbridled passion, but they don't have passion that's for the Lord. They don't have, they don't see God interweaving into their life. They, they, they focus on what's wrong instead of the blessings. So I highly encourage you. I, I counted my blessings. I saw all the amazing things, and those were ordained. I quit thinking about the things that weren't good, and I started thinking about the amazing things that did happen. And I started just praising God, some heart attitude changed. And then from that, the motivation came from cross, the cross. The motivation came from my identity and dignity in Christ, my identity, who I am. Now, not great, 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 great grandson, but son of a king, royalty in my bloodline, you know. Um, and then from that, from that, my, my dignity is how he feels about me, not how this other girl feels about me or uh, how a coach feels about me or anything else because that's, that's conditional. So unconditional then was my motivation. And then being able to go out, um, we then, you know, when I was coaching, I coached, I coached and I told the coaching staff, I'm going to talk Jesus, man. That, that's, that's how I played. You know, I'm going to talk Jesus. And, and if you guys have a problem, that's fine. Then don't pay me and fire me. I, I could care less. And then amazing things started happening. As you can see, you know, Michael is also in the crowd as a buddy of mine. And, and I saw potential in him and I saw heart beating him and I saw various things, a lot of similarities. And I said, well, who's going to invest in him? And, and then because you've been coached and held accountable in faith, you could grab somebody else and coach them and say, you're off. You need to get back on. And so I, I thank Tom for that. And then uh, also, um, just a heart to, to go right out. I had a buddy of mine as the best man at my wedding. God just puts people in your life. And you get not only baptized in faith, but baptized into ministry, just thrown in. And we went and stayed downtown four days, and it was a blessing. Uh, just prayed about it and uh, slept literally under a bridge in a sleeping bag. Uh, went in and, and slept in... Um, so slept in a sleeping bag, had a guy, it was, it was awesome. He knew the whole town and everybody, you don't mess with this guy. And uh, his name was Peter, biblical name, perfect, that fits. And, uh, and then from that, we started going into shelters and then the opportunities to really impact and talk to people and pray for people. This is prior to me really having a job, uh, just getting out of school. And there was treasures there. There were things that I hold dear to my heart, uh, things that being able to pray for a man before he jumped off a bridge and uh, being able to do various things and see God move through that man and realize that, you know what, I've been blessed, and so let's go be a blessing. Uh, also, there were some other opportunities to go uh, to a crazy festival, one called Burning Man, if you guys know anything about that. We went and put a tent up, and we put scripture on the outside of it. We handed out espresso and various things. Well, who else is going to go? Every time you bring that up, everybody wants to say, well, uh, why would people go? And they start condemning these people. Well, there's 60,000 people that an average person would condemn, probably people in a church. And so we said, well, let's go. And I had a crazy buddy of mine. And, and so we just said, well, let's hand out espresso. Let's take some food. Let's get fired up. And let's let God move. And let's run a church service Sunday morning. And when they burn that man and do whatever they're doing, uh, we're going to play Amazing Grace. And we did. And there are probably 40, 50 people that came by. And we laid hands on naked men, naked women, clothed them, uh, people that had addictions and various things, prayed over them. And I just realized, you know, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. Uh, God calls us into his ministry, into partner with him. We all become a royal priesthood and a responsibility to come to the cross and then steps to the cross from the cross to bring others back to the cross. And so why I'm so excited, why I'm passionate is because, you know, it's really a culture and a new thing and a resurrection in my own life into a story of what really God's calling us to, that adventure and that movement and going out and saying, hey, there's the banker, here's the guy at work, or here's whatever, and there's always that drama and that stuff going on. And for us to be able to discern that with spiritual eyes and come in and say, hey, let me buy you a cup of coffee. I want to get to know you. 
And that's where it all started with Tom and I. Yeah, so um, at this point, um, Austin's got things going. He's calling me. He's telling me what he's doing. I, the Burning Man thing, that was just insane. And I've heard some of the deeper stories of that. It's, it's right up there with Triple uh, X Church Ministry, you know. Um, but uh, I, at this point, I'm like, hey, you're basically cut, you, cut loose, you know. He remained uh, committed to his relationship with God and accountable to Jesus. And this is where the next step of discipleship goes. Wherever we go, we, we complete the process by, you know, living our lives around other people and sharing with them when they want to know. And um, so now comes this last part of your story, which is from now till the future, right? Um, so what actually is going on right now? So run the races to win, right? And uh, not be satisfied. I've learned, you know, being a learner, being a disciple means that I'm becoming more like King Jesus. I'm becoming more like rabbi. That means I'm not focused on just retirement. And if I'm done with the job, that means that I'm still focused on a mission. What's the mission at hand? There's another theologian that I read. I'm immortal until God's work with me is done. And uh, so I just start getting motivated and fired up and excited about me and what God feels about me and what God feels about everybody, regardless of uh, what they have going on in their life. And uh, so from that, really just excited about the word and just sitting at the feet of Jesus, you know, salvation at the feet, at the feet, at the feet, you're going to see. And it's not about performance. It's just about progression, and progression, becoming more like him and, and having that grace um, not, not only for everlasting life, but, but in the here and the now, if somebody wrongs you, if you need to forgive, if you need to step up and step out, if you need to do whatever you need to do, he's calling you to, then that's, that's called grace and, uh, being able to partner in that and see God really move. Um, it's exciting. So now my day counts my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday, my Thursday, my Fridays counts. It's not, Oh my gosh, it's Monday. Oh, thank God it's Friday. It's, it's exciting about today and the opportunity today and the mission today. And so what we've been able to do is I'm out and about. I found another man that could invest time into me. His name's Alex Kettles, and this guy kicks my butt just like Tom did. And he holds me to a high level, and I have another man that we're talking about accountability that's within this group that we created that's sending me stuff as I'm even here right now about issues in my life and saying, hey, buddy, you want it? You, you moving forward? You You excited? Awesome. Just checking. Just making sure we're on track. See you Monday morning at 630. Make sure you also read this and this because you have to memorize something for Hebrews like we talked about. And it's exciting to have those people in my life because it sharpens me. And acts, right? The iron can dull. Wood can rot. And uh, I believe if we're just progressively moving forward and just excited, that knowing that if God moves and does something, it's because he did it. But if I'm really just the vehicle, if, I, if I'm, you know, I remember my wife getting so excited about this. You know, you go read Hosanna and the highest of the Palm Sunday. What if I'm just the donkey that Christ rode in on and I get excited front row with the popcorn and the soda, man, just to see what he's about to do. And that's what we could all get excited about. That's what we all get excited about in football. That's what we all get excited about in our job and our work and various things. So if things are dull, I think it's purpose. And I think it's daily pursuit and the passion for Christ. That suffering, that, that passion. So it goes back to the motivation. So f- to the cross, I want to encourage everybody to go to the cross like I've been going, and then you'll get filled up, your joy complete, and then to the cross, from the cross, those spheres and those circles. And then I believe God, a lifetime of that, that's just a day in, day out, lifetime of that, you become a history maker. And, and when you get done, you know, the only, only thing I want to hear is well done. And Austin, this banquet, this party's for you. No matter what other people said, no matter what other people thought, no matter what the enemy was doing in your life, no matter the strongholds you fought, 
You were like a King David. You were like a Paul. I get so motivated by the scriptures. I get so pumped when I see Paul, when I see David. And I realize we all have the same opportunity to have that joy, the root of the heartbeat, to then be motivated to produce the fruit. Well, I was just going to sit back and let him finish it. <laughs> so I'm looking at Mohawk Boy up there, uh, which is 2006 in Hawaii. And then I'm looking at um, these guys down here. Um, all these guys down here except me played on the football team. And uh, uh, Austin was an influence on them. That was the day the other guys got baptized. And then uh, Mike up there recently. And then Austin's little baby girl right there. So... Um, I'm just like, I'm just going to look at that picture and watch how you've grown. Um, here's the point of the series as I wrap this up. Um, God can use you. Your life can have great purpose um, if you'll make yourself available to others. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. If you love Jesus, he can use you to make a difference in the lives of others and maybe even change the world one relationship at a time. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, I like this verse because it reminds me of me and it reminds me of Austin a lot too because um, neither, neither of us was really trained in the beginning to get out and do ministry. Um, you know, I was like Chris, they handed me the keys and said, here you go, you're the youth pastor. And I really didn't know what I was doing at the time either. Um, it says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Um, who knows? You may not even know just how much one relationship could set off. I certainly didn't when Craig came back that year and said, I'm ready to do something. Uh, you could never know what the exponential possibilities of just your willingness to make a difference in the life of one person to help them grow. Um, last week, I talked about Craig Gross and, and his progression and showed you the ministry he's involved in and, and the TV show he was on last week and the, the seventh book that he just wrote. Um, but in that book, he mentioned another guy named Jake. And um, Jake uh, joined us. Um, here's a picture, some pictures of Jake. The, the little guy, I've got my arm around there. This is about when he entered the picture. He was in ninth grade. And uh, he wanted to be part of this little group. So the three of us uh, met 6 a.m. in the morning at McDonald's. And uh, the next picture there is what happened is um, after Jake and Craig graduated from high school and then went to college, they finished in three years. They became a traveling team called Craig and Jake Live. They traveled all over the United, Sta uh, United States speaking at um, camps and assemblies and high schools. And who would have thought just that they would even get to that point? Okay. Um, they told me after their five years wrapped up with uh, Craig and Jake Live that during those five years, they had counted 10,000 teenagers who had walked up and said, I want to ask Jesus to come into my life. That's exponential. And uh, they, they also included a discipleship program to leave with their youth leaders everywhere they went. Um, Jake has been a pastor and a teacher since then. And I want to show you this clip of um, his latest ministry, which starts in about two weeks.
Live Church. Well, we are an online church community connecting people together to live out the mission of Jesus. That's what we are. And there is such a need in our world today for an online church community where people can go to find hope, to engage in community, and then to be released to go live out the mission of Jesus in their local communities. I mean, online, there's, there's nearly 2 billion people that exist online. Two billion. I mean, an absolute ton of people. Out of that two billion people, nearly 80% of them search at some point faith-related material, which tells me that when people are in need or people are looking for hope, the first step they take is they get onto their computer or on their mobile device and they search for hope and they look for something to make them feel better. And so many people stumble upon unhealthy things, things that will actually make their life worse. And at Live, we believe that people could stumble upon this truth. Hey, Jesus is the hope. There's a community of people that stand behind you. There's real purpose that can be found in your life. And so Live Church is to connect people to Jesus, to engage them in community, and then release them to live out the mission of Jesus. I mean, we, we're a global church. We have global reach, but we want to see local impact. We want to see your life be impacted online and then move you offline into your real life to live out the mission and the calling that God places on each and every single one of us. And so we're excited at Live to create this, to create Sunday services that, that are engaging, that are inspiring, that will move you to grow and also connect you with people so you could be released to do good in our world. Hey, we're going to take this journey together, but we hope you'll jump on board, stay connected, get updates, and be a part of what we're doing here at Live. So I'm going to leave you with uh, one last verse. Worship team, you guys can make your way up here. Um, and, and it's 1 Corinthians um, 3, 6 through 9. Um, not going to read it, but I'm going to give you a synopsis of this because um, let me let me make this clear: the the people we've talked about are not who they once were anymore. Uh, a difference has been made. Um, I don't know that I did much. I feel like they've all surpassed me by leaps and bounds. But I'm thankful that God was able to put me um, in their path along the way as a person who would influence them and encourage them to move on. So this verse says basically this: plant seeds everywhere. When you see a seed that's thirsty, water it. And it's really God that causes the growth. It's really not us. We're just there as the workers, planting and watering um, and helping the process that God has started and that God will complete. Um, I think that's what he's calling us to do, and I think any of us can do that. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for um, uh, loving us the way you do, for putting people in our lives to um, reach out to us. And uh, God, I pray that um, you would help us realize that we can continue this process that you started a long time ago um, by just being available to people. Help us to be willing to do that and then seek out direction from you and, and just plant and water as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.